Hey, this is Sean Dodell, and this is Chris Hodges, and you, you are, are listening, listening to Awakened Nation. Nation. A huge shift is taking place on planet Earth. People seem to be waking up. Tired of the way things used to be, they are creating something brand new and changing the world we live in. My name is Brad Zalas, and I get to sit down with the next generation of idea makers, the disruptors, and the game changers. Everyday people, just like you and me, from all over, who are doing amazing things. Welcome to Awakened Nation. told the story so many times, but you are the best at telling it, Sean. So, I mean, again, you can start from the beginning. Great. 1993, Great A's forms. Uh, Chester Bennington is the singer, of course. We go on to put out several albums and had some regional fame and did very well, had a couple record deals, and the band breaks up in 1998. Chester and I become business partners in 2003. You know, we're just the closest of friends for so many years. What made me decide to get into, into the business was one, I love tattoos. And second, this guy right here knows how to run a shop. He was looking to expand and was thinking about a partner. I said, absolutely. How could I turn down an opportunity to work with one of my best friends? Fast forward to 2016, Chester calls me and says, hey, we should do another club tattoo anniversary party. And I'd like to put uh, Grey Days back together for that event. And I'm happy to announce that on June 23rd at the Marquee Theater in Tempe, Arizona, Grey Days will have our 20th anniversary reunion show. About three days after Chester passed in July, we were supposed to start the rehearsal for the reunion show, and uh, it just never got to happen. About eight months after Chester passed away, uh, as a band, we collectively decided to finish the record, and it initially just started out. We were just going to fund it ourselves and put it out. No delusions of grandeur or, or trying to get a record deal or anything like that. We just wanted to finish it for our friend and it became something much bigger, and we realized that, you know, a lot of people out there really wanted to hear what Chester had to say and hear these songs, and that's where we're at now. Hey, guys, I have an amazing two guests on today from the band Gray Days, Sean Daldell and Chris Hodges. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, everybody. Good, good. I have been listening to the Phoenix and and all your other albums as well, but holy hell, the energy on this new album, uh, the Phoenix is just incredible. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen, take some notes. If you are a fan of Lincoln Park, Gray Days, Chester Bennington, this is the show for you. So let's kick this off. Sean is the drummer, a kick-ass drummer, by the way, from another kick-ass drummer. he has uh i guess you're you're kind of like the engineer the the driving force to getting this all back together am i right on that sean yeah i I think that's that's accurate you know originally when we got the band back together it was chester's idea but you know since chester's passing trying to continue on with the group was something we had to consider at length um after after some time uh, uh of his passing but yeah uh, we went on to continue uh, rewriting and and putting the music out in a way that made sense. And as of recent, we've decided to start playing some live shows as soon as we could wrap our head around trying to create a live show that made sense. And that's how we ended up bringing Chris into the project. Uh, I'm going to skip forward a little bit, but how did you discover Chris? Um. Well, this may or may not be true, but I think Chris was a um, one of my biggest fans. He would write letters to me every day, and I finally had to answer some of them. No, actually, I met Chris at a listening event in L.A. Um, they had brought some people in to get their opinions and digest the music that we had done for amends, and Chris was one of the people that was invited. And uh, he and I just kind of hit it off um, as friends in that event. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of stayed in touch. And then I found out, you know, I think probably a month or two after that, that he was actually a singer and a songwriter and in various uh, live projects. And then we just kind of stayed in touch. But as the band was trying to wrap its head around this, I would say this rewind about a year ago from today uh, ish, we started saying, how, how does this look for us to do live performances? And we started throwing around names of people that we would want to possibly have come up and actually sing in front of the project if we were up on stage. And Chris was one of the the names in that um, in that hat, so to speak. And then uh, we got on the phone with him and did a Zoom call with the band and Chris. And 
this synergy was just there. We just, we really got along as humans. And I think, you know, you could find 50 singers that can, that can sing. That really wasn't the issue for us. It was finding somebody that understood the music, respected Chester in a way that was meaningful and then wanted to do justice to the project yet still keep some of that initial intent of what we had in mind. And yeah. Chris kind of checked all those boxes and it and just had a really incredible attitude. And that's where it started. Yeah. It, it, I have to agree with you. You can't just find any singer uh, because this, this has to have the angst, the touch of anger, the passion, the, the ability to scream and not lose your voice. So I'm going to ask you, Chris, you have some big shoes to fill. And I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, listen to the live performances, go see them in concert. But Chris, holy crap, man, you have brought the thunder. Um, but what was it like? What was it like to fill in the these these are big shoes, my friend? No, that's a good question. I I I've been a fan of Chester since uh since the early days. And so I I knew the shoes that I had to fill. I knew what I had to do. Um, but we started talking. I guess we started talking in October of mm-hmm. 2022, Sean and I, and uh, of of seriously doing this. Like like Sean said, we've we've been friends for a few years since the listening party, and we've stayed in touch. And I've played with various projects and various bands, and toured with some really amazing names. But uh, I started flying in and out of Phoenix to to just meet the guys first without even getting in a rehearsal studio just to meet them and right. see if we we connected on that level and it seemed like our intentions were all pure to make sure that we're respecting the past and 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 presenting this in a light that's uh, respectful of Chester and his family and his friends and so that was the first thing was just to make sure that the synergy synergy was there and we weren't forcing anything mm. so once we once we got the relationship and the friendship down that's whenever we stepped into a rehearsal studio and we started rehearsing together. And honestly, like I've been to a lot of rehearsals. I've been to a lot of auditions. I've been through this before. And this is one of the first times where it just connected on the first song. Wow. And we just, I just started flying in and out of Phoenix. We kept it secret for months and months and months. And, uh, you know, finally, uh, Sean hit me up and he said, hey, uh, first gig is U-Fest in front of 15,000 people. I said, all right, cool. So not only not only do I have to fill the shoes of Chester Bennington, but our first show is going to be in front of 10 to 15,000 people. Excellent. Can't yeah. wait. No pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> Those that know me know I don't do anything small or half Yeah, no, no kidding. I know you, no. Sean. <laughs> we were either going to do a showcase or we were going to fail miserably. <laughs> uh, let's do a showcase for friends and family, maybe a hundred people. Sean's like, nope, we're doing you fest. Wow. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, when Led Zeppelin uh, took the stage at Woodstock. They didn't even have a name for the band. And they said, this is going to go down like a lead balloon. They go, that's our name, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you know I mean? And we were nice. massive failure. Or massive success. So, how was that? That energy, that f- walking into this this stadium, uh, this packed crowd, fifteen thousand people, and you're about to hit the first note. Now, I'm I'm a drummer as well, and I've been on stage, uh, but I can tell you, it's that that moment up to, and then you hit the performance, and you just do what you got to do. But I want your story. What was that like that first time? Well, Chris and I probably have two very different stories of that day, but my my um, my story was this. You know, we had great energy. Everybody was ready. We showed up to the venue really early, ready to do sound check. The sound check for the headlining band Godsmack went four hours over schedule, and it's not their fault. It's just one of those things yeah. at festivals. Um, so all of the undercard bands, um, we kind of we kind of lost our ability to do sound checks and run and run through and make line checks so we were we were having to scramble backstage to try to make sure we were as prepared as possible um and i'm just gonna shoot shoot out like shoot it straight here because i think i think um people listening will actually appreciate it on our rider we had you know we wanted to have backup wedge monitors because we all use in-ear monitors well at a festival there's 50 plus um band members that all have in-ears on at, in the back of the stage they don't turn them off so uh when we turned our in-ears on there was a lot of interference 
we went out onto stage, they introduced us onto stage, and I noticed right away that all of the wedge monitors that were supposed to be on stage weren't there. And mm. I called over to the stage manager, go, hey, where, where are the wedge monitors? And he goes, oh, you don't need them. You guys have in-ears. And I go, and right when I start to speak, our guy, Andrew, <laughs> start, starts the music for the first track as he's running our tracks. So I hear Chester in my headset. I'm looking at the guys. I go, what happens if our, and right then my in-ears went out. I said, I go, what happens if our in-ears run out? So I literally, I have no idea how I got through that set because I was playing, I would say yeah. 90% of the entire set without any in-ears, without any monitors and without hearing the click track. And for you drummers out there that know trying to play to a click track that you can't hear is literally a virtual impossibility. So I, Chester must've been on my shoulder that day just to get yeah. me through that. So that being said, I still had fun. I mean, it was a lot to swallow and I was, I was in shock that we were in that situation. Um, but I'll let Chris tell his experience. Good. Uh, first of all, so I was on tour with another band and I had to, I had to leave the tour and fly, take a red eye to Phoenix and and perform with gray days uh and then fly out so it was a fly in fly out and i'm a man of creature and habit and this you know i need strategies and i need rehearsals and all of this we were as rehearsed as possible gray days it was just the simple fact that i had to fly in and the second that i flew in i got off the plane and walked on the stage wow. and so i'm already like okay you know we gotta I, i'm i was there and now i'm here and here we go and exactly what Sean said, as soon as I walked out on the stage, my ears went dead. Everything went, went, went gone. Like all I heard was nothing. Yeah. And so, uh, and so I'm already freaking out because like you said, big, big shoes to fill. I just walked off of a plane and on stage in front of 10 to 15,000 people and my ears go down. So we had... It was 30 minutes, Sean, a 30 minute set, 35, 35 minutes, yeah, 35. 35 minutes set. It felt like 10 hours. <laughs> all, all I needed to do was I needed to look at the audience because they were enjoying themselves immensely. Uh -huh. So all I needed to do was pull my ears out and look at the audience and look at them singing along with me. And it put me back into that space that that original intention of why we're doing nice. this. And so all I had to do was look at the, the fans and then I was back there back wow. with them. Wow. That's incredible because people may not realize this when you're the drummer, you must keep the beat and you can't speed up. You can't slow down. And when you're in a large crowd situation, there's an echo chamber that your beats are going out, coming back. And then everybody can be out of sync all of a sudden and you guys held it together. So I'm incredibly impressed. Awesome, Chris. Yeah. You're a yeah. pro, baby. You're a pro. It was listen, man. It was the fans that got us through that. That was the that was that's the truth. Good. Awesome. Sean, I want to talk to you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Sean wrote an incredible book called The Tattooed Millionaire. He is the co-owner of Club Tattoo. Uh, Sean, I couldn't put that book down. I was uh helping my nephew drive out here to Las Vegas for his first real big job at the TV station. And I'm reading this while we're switching up driving, you know, and I, I literally couldn't put the book down because you went all the way back to the days, uh, you know, in Arizona, uh, when you and, um, Chester met, uh, your car accident all these things that changed your life. But let's talk about that. You've known Chester since you guys were like, what high school. Let's talk about that a little bit. I met him when I was a, a freshman in college and he was a sophomore in high school at uh, Greenway High School. And I was introduced to a mutual friend that said he sounded just like Eddie Vedder and we should we should try to audition him for the band. So we did. Well, did that send chills down your spine? Because, you know, when you meet someone that's got that raw talent and, uh, you know, you've auditioned a lot of people, all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, this kid's got it. Well, at the time I hadn't auditioned hard. I don't think we auditioned anybody. I mean, I was 17 <laughs> myself and I was just, I was just as green as he was. I just happened to have a rehearsal studio. So I was, I was like, Oh my God, Sean's a professional. And, 
and and Chester wasn't. But I mean, that's really all that separated us is that we had rented a rehearsal studio. We were just as green and didn't know anything about what we were doing, and we just wanted just wanted to be rock stars and and uh, and play music. That's that's where it, that's where it started. Yeah. What I was really impressed with in the book, um, and being a fellow drummer, this really hit me. You wanted to be good at the craft, and you talked about learning how to work with a metronome and a click track and all that. I mean, that impressed the hell out of me because that's a driving force, and that that's, separates the amateurs from the professionals, my friend. And uh, I got to tell you, your drum tracks on saturation and 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 every every song, by the way, is just this fat, wonderful, intense drumming. Um, how did you develop that style? Did you did you follow someone else, or you just practice the hell out of it? Uh, well, I mean, you got, you got a couple things going on here with your question, so I'll I'll rewind the first part. Um, I didn't realize that there was a difference between basically being a live drummer and then being a studio drummer. And one of the best things that ever happened to me, um, there was a band called Soul Asylum back in the 90s who had this Want Somebody to Love song. We ended up opening up for them at Balboa Square or something. And I had this enormous ego and they wouldn't move their drum set or something like that. And I was bitching and complaining on stage, not being a professional at all. And I was 19 or 20 years old. And the drummer for Soul Asylum came up to me. I don't know his name. I couldn't tell you and he goes, hey, man, let me just tell you something. And I said, what's that? And he goes, your attitude sucks. And you are not a good drummer. You suck. Um, you should not have an attitude like this. You need to go and rehearse and develop your skill set. And you will realize over time that this, this stuff that you're bitching about is all ego crap. None of it matters. And I was so angry. I wanted to you know, just fight this guy. And then it took me about two or three months. And I realized this guy's right. Everything I was doing, everything I was portraying was ego driven, had nothing to do with what we were doing as a band, nothing to do with my skill set as a drummer. And it was, it was me just being pissed off that I wasn't getting my way. So that, that moment of that guy checking me really carried a lot of weight into, okay, I, first of all, need to become a better drummer and not worried about that. This guy won't move his amp or this, this stuff like that stuff plays its way out just fine. And then when I got into the recording studio, um, I realized that live drumming had nothing to do with being a good recording uh, drummer. So I started to learn that, you know, how to work in and on and around click tracks. And um, that became very important for me to differentiate the, the two hats I had to wear as a drummer. And I'm a writing drummer. I like to write songs. um, And, that just became part of what I like to do in, in the project. As far as my style goes, you know, I was heavily influenced early on by bands like Alice in Chains and, and um, Sisters of Mercy. And mm-hmm. I, but I also took a lot of, a lot of um, influence from bands that really didn't have a drummer like Depeche Mode. Uh, so those things influenced my writing as a drummer maybe differently than a lot of drummers would approach songs. So that's really how my style came to be was, was through those types of influences and bands like the cure. And, and then I, you know, had roots in the eighties of eighties uh, rock where there was this big banging drum chorus mm. um, that those are, those are moments I like to pull from as well. But then I like little stylistic things where cymbal work and things like that. So yeah. Well, my hat's off to you, man. You're a very good drummer. Excellent. Uh, Chris, I want to hear how you discovered you could sing. Was it in high school, junior high, or church choir? What was it? (laughs) I mean, I think if you're from, I'm from Dallas, Texas. And if you're from Texas, um, you're going to be put in youth group in the churches, right? And so we're in the Bible Belt. And so, of course, I was put in those youth groups and those, uh, those choirs and those things like that. And the thing was, is like, I discovered music through, uh, of course that, but then I discovered music through blues, through BB King, through, 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 um, you know, that, that side of things, even before rock. And Mm -hmm. once I discovered the blues, BB King was one of my favorite artists, not because of his guitar work, because of the soul and his voice, you could feel the pain. You could feel hundreds of years of, of pain. 
And it was incredible to me. But I, then I started getting into more of a pop side, like Michael Jackson, in terms of his, the versatility of his voice and then the ability to have such charisma on mm. stage while he's saying in these completely, I mean, he was a rock singer. Come on. Yeah. Like he, he had incredible pop, but he had a rock side to him. Right. And that ended up transitioning into Alice in Chains. Like Sean said, Lane Staley was one of my favorite artists of all time. And uh, I, I, you know, I guess I discovered at a young age that I had a passion for it, but kind of like what Sean said, this, you know, there's a there's a saying um hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard you can yeah. you can have something when you're young you can have something but if you're not working at it then you're not going to be near as successful as you can be and so i think that i started taking it seriously right before i left dallas texas to los angeles to become a professional singer and a professional songwriter and that's whenever i actually turned it into my job like i took yeah. it seriously I, I went to auditions. I went to gigs. I was prepared. I had a vocal coach. I still have a vocal coach. And um, it's something that you have to work on. Like you can have a little bit of talent at the beginning, but if you don't work hard at it, then you're going to be in the pool with everybody else. Los Angeles is a huge pool of talent. And unless you work hard, you're not going to stand out. Wow. You said a mouthful there. Uh it is that incredible side of things. And I know this may be a sidebar, um, but uh, I remember my whole life, I listened to Johnny Mathis sing the Christmas song. And I was like, wow, the, I love that song or uh, Perry Como or any of these guys. But then I heard Michael Buble sing it. And I realized he understood the meaning of the song. And it stopped me in my tracks. And a great singer, and you are a great singer, Chris, you bring the thunder. They have that emotion, and the audience feels it. There's this angst, there's this pain, there's this anger, and you're reaching out for some sort of solace in almost every song. And that's what I love about you guys. Great days, you just you bring that, that thunder to everything you do. Um, and thank you, guys. I really appreciate that you're on the show. Um, I'm going to let people listen to... A little bit of one of the tracks right now. Here's Gray Days, ladies and gentlemen.
Sean, um, what was this? What was the feeling of getting back together? I mean, I know that you were really wanting to do this. Uh, I want the fans to really know what it's like to say, you know what? You know, this is old saying, hey, we're getting the band back together, man. But this was real. This was this took a lot of coordination, my friend. Um, let's talk about that. Um, so I in, in 2016, Chester and I started having some conversations about doing some different club tattoo events again. And right. he he had mentioned, you know, I, I thought about that a little bit and I thought it'd be a good time to get great A's back together and so we went down that rabbit hole and that that took several months to try to coordinate and put back together. And in the meantime, we we started getting a lot of different promoters around the world offering us um, really kind of stupid money to start playing in Japan and Australia. And, and so I think it kind of. Well, I don't I don't think it kind of we had actual conversations about it where he realized that this could be a lot more than just a couple of shows. And uh, then we started working with a producer named Sylvia Massey on. Mm -hmm re-recording some of the original tracks and started working on a record. And this was while he was, you know, Chester was still alive. A lot of people don't know that, um, that all this stuff was happening while he was still alive. It's not just stuff that got released um, without right. his knowledge or, in, mm -hmm. or his intent. Um, uh, it just, there, there was a gap after, you know, he passed right when we were supposed to start a rehearsals with him. Um, and it, it took a while to try to come to a point where, we as a band still wanted to try to finish the record. And that's how it kind of started was we just want to finish the music. I was just going to pay for it and just, yeah. just have it to have it. So we, we were able to complete what we started. That that's where um, this whole rocket ride kind of, I guess, you know, started. And um, once we did that, and we had such uh, really solid success with with Amends, our first release. Then we did our EP strip, and that that was a lot of fun to do. And then we we finished the Phoenix that came out last year. And then we we kept getting these offers to play live, but we couldn't wrap our head around how to do it properly. Um, you know, the thought of initially trying to replace Chester was just like something we didn't want yeah. to do at all because the whole reason the band was getting back together was you know because it was his idea and. We wanted we, we we didn't want to tread on that, but I think through many many conversations we figured out a way to still keep Chester inclusive, and I think Chris would agree that when we get up on stage now, it's important that he's up there with us. Uh, Chester's up there with Chris, singing along with Chris in certain parts of certain yeah. songs, keeping certain certain tracks alive where Chester's there. He's not there all the time because we don't want to make it seem like we're up there playing to a videotape, you know, that right. we didn't want that to be a stale component of the live show, but we do bring him in, in, in key moments of songs where he him and Chris are singing together. And it kind of really, wow. Makes some very special moments for us uh, while we're up there. And then we've created a visual package that um, uh, a visual aesthetic that keeps Chester included along with all of us on stage. So it's a great A show. It's not a tribute show to Chester, but we still have these moments where we are honoring our friend. Um, he's still up there on stage with us visually and audibly. Um, and so it makes sense. And we feel good about the way we're doing it. I think um, for Chris, you know, I can't speak for him, but I would imagine it would have been a, a difficult thing to try to, to tackle. Like, how do I get up there without trying to replace Chester, but at the same time, I still got to be myself. And I'll let Chris try speak to that because I, I think it would be cool to hear from him. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so when I came to Los Angeles, one of the things that I noticed I was good at was I was able to adapt my voice to whatever project I was working on. And that allowed me to uh, get jobs with Paramount Studios. And I ended up working with Paramount Studios. Um, doing different genres, singing and songwriting for different genres and um, being versatile on that aspect. And um, so the versatility was just, again, going back to the hard work that we were talking about, the versatility mm -hmm. came from the gigs that I had and the jobs that I had whenever I first came to Los Angeles, singing and songwriting for movie studios and sync licensing companies. And so I, I, I already enjoyed being versatile, but I also didn't want to lose who I am as a, as a singer. And mm -hmm. so over the past 10 years, I feel like I've been coming into 
a, a, a melding of the two. And so when this project came along, I definitely, I definitely want to respect what, what we have and, and what Chester and Great A's had. And that's why we put Chester in uh, under, and sometimes both of us right there together. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm not treading on trying to sound like Chester. I'm, I'm making sure that I am keeping with my own personality and my own character. But we're both kind of similar in, this, in the sense that we're both high tenors. And, um, and uh, it kind of just worked. It kind of just fit together. Mm-hmm. And um, again, Great A's is coming from the grunge 90s era, which is my favorite era in the world. Yeah. And so... You know, it, it just kind of fit and it works without forgetting what Grey Days was. Um, this is more of an honoring without, without, like Sean said, making it like we're playing to a hologram or a videotape. Right, right. Uh, that's incredible. You know, I mean, technology today can give you that ability. But uh, do you get chills sometimes when you're on stage and you're just... The first, so the chills came whenever Sean sent me the stems to Grey Days. And the stems is where you you can separate each track individually. And so I had a drum track, I had guitar tracks, and I had every single one of Chester's vocals isolated. Isolated from when he was, what, Sean, 18 years old, 17 years old. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, there's various various moments of recording, but some some of the recordings were when he was 17, 18, and then, Again, when he was, you know, 2021. 20, so. so the chills came from whenever I downloaded those stems and I went into that vocal booth right there and I put my headphones on and I just isolated Chester's voice and the hit. You want to talk about chills, man? Like mm. just, just being able to hear history. Like I, yeah. I, had, I had something in my hands that, that nobody else really has. And uh, so the chills came from in that, in that vocal booth right there learning these parts and and isolating chester's vocals to where it was just me and him in a studio basically i was blown away i watched the the documentary the mini documentary you guys put together and it just it gave me chills just seeing how people were so excited to just get together and create this homage uh but also stand on something brand new and uh, i want to ask you how was it to have dave navarro uh, come in and, and lay down a lead guitar track that was, that blew my mind that he just he wanted to do it well a lot of people don't realize he was actually slated to work on the first record but um last minute had some scheduling conflicts and had to bow out and i was pretty bummed at that um but he you know he he threw the caveat i was like sean i really like the project i'd like to work on something so if you do something else let me know and as we're doing the second record, I was like, I talked to the guys and I said, do we want to reach out to Dave again? Um, and everyone was like, yeah, of course. So I just said, Hey Dave, you know, no pressure. If you want to do this, cool. If, if you don't, and, and literally he responded in 10 minutes, I'm in, what do I got to get? What do I got to do? And where do I got to be? So we gave him, I think we gave him two different tracks and we ended up um, settling on holding you. And he came in and um, so we started from scratch and we worked with him for maybe three, four hours and he had a couple cool ideas and he's like, will that work? And, and, and I was like, I know we're going to get more out of him. So we literally kept like, okay, that's cool, but let's, let's get more and more and more. Yeah. And then he finally just laid down this, this one, he wrote this solo. I was like, oh my God, that gave us chills. And we all were like, Okay, this is great. And he was a lot of fun to work with. Super humble guy. I don't think he gets yeah. the credit he deserves as a guitar player. Um, he's a great guitar player. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite records he ever did, a lot of people don't even know, is when he when the record he did, I think it was called uh, One Hot Minute with Chili Peppers. Yeah. Um, wow. I think that's the title of the album. I just, But I, I know it is the album that Dave played on. I don't, I don't, I'm not good with song titles or, or album names. I love that album. And I... I I know he he was friends with Chester as well. They played in a in a side a side band called um, Kings of Chaos several times, and um, I know Chester was was special to Dave. So I think this was a way for him to come in and and pay homage to to his friend who he didn't get to record with, and uh, we were the facilitator of that. So I think I think I think we were doing Dave a solid. 
We were doing Chester solid. And of course it was great for us. So we enjoyed every minute of it. And um, I, I think Dave's a special, special guy. Tomorrow's going to be kind of exciting. We have Dave Navarro coming in. He's going to be playing guitar on a track called Holding You. And he seems very excited. We've been back and forth uh, talking with each other. And he was really uh, very fond of Chester. And uh, they played in a band together over the years. And uh, Dave always had a very good rapport with Chester. And Chester always spoke very highly of Dave. So we reached out to him to see if he wanted to play on the record. And he did. And so we brought him in, and he's going to do a song called Holding You, and I think you guys are going to love it. It's, it's got a very, of course, it feels like great ace, but it, it's got a little Jane's Addiction, a little Chili Peppers uh, feel to it. And I think Dave is the perfect guy for that song. Sean called me up and said, we're doing another great A's record. We got Chester songs. Here's one we'd love to have you play on. It was just it was a slam dunk, no brainer. Like, I'm doing this. There was no hesitancy. You know, I knew that there was some success with the last record that they put out. And look, these are songs that he worked on and loved and honed and crafted. Do you know what I mean? So they deserve to be heard and they deserve to be served as well as they can be. And I think that everybody in the, in the control room is really painstakingly caring for the music and the artistry. So playing on this song, uh, on the Great A's record, when I got that opportunity, it was like, absolutely, because of all the playing we'd done together for, like I said, for like a decade, nothing was ever recorded. And so to now have something that's a recording that we're both playing on is, is really special for me. And it's at it, it, this phase in my career, and having done this for so long, it's, it's hard for something to resonate that deeply with me. It's cool, man, you know, to hear these old tracks and like how young he was and to just see how unbridled raw talent, how much raw talent he had back then. And to hear him doing stuff vocally that he kind of maybe let go of him in the later years and now hear it now, like it's, it's so cool, you know, because you're kind of getting a glimpse into the birthplace of an artist that you came to know and love and, and, and uh, embrace. Then to go back prior to that and see what he was doing and hear what he was doing before he became Chester from Lincoln Park and getting an opportunity and also to, like, in the studio where you can literally turn up the fader and just hear him, you know, that's cool. There's something about when artists are finding their voice that that's the special part. Because I like the sound of people finding who they are. And I think on the Grey Days album, you're going to hear a lot of that. You're going to hear him discovering himself, which is kind of cool. You can see it in his eyes on the documentary. He just is like um, a lot of love there. A lot of love and, and a lot of respect for you guys, uh, by the way. Um, so let's talk about your other bandmates who are not here today. Uh, we had Kristen Davis and May Spires. Bass Myers, one of the best people we know. <laughs> you guys, um, you just click. You know, there's a, there's like a chemistry there, and you see it right away. Um, and I'm sure, Chris, you're enjoying some of that chemistry as well on the road. Uh, where are you guys headed? Uh, I know you guys are going out on tour, and you're doing more dates. Uh, where where are you headed? And I'm I'm excited to uh, promote this a little bit. Yeah. Appreciate that. So we are currently, we have three shows booked. We wanted to make these extremely special and extremely limited so that people could experience it. And basically we kind of want people to dictate what they want from this. This is our, this isn't our thing that we're forcing upon people. We want people to experience it and tell us, do you want more of it? So 
right now we have three shows booked. The first one is July 6th at St. Rock in Hermosa Beach. And uh, that's going to be an extremely fun one. We're playing with uh, the producer of the, both of the Grey Days albums, S.J. Jones. Mm-hmm. She has a band called We Are Pigs, and they're <laughs> going to be playing that night. They're fantastic, too. Um, we're also doing uh, August 18th at the Canyon in Agora Hills, which is one of my favorite venues. Um, the Canyon, uh, Agora Hills and Montclair, they both have. Uh, they're both very well known out here in Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. And so we're playing August 18th at the Canyon and Agora Hills and then August 19th at the Canyon Montclair. So tickets are available on the website at greatdaysmusic.com and from our socials, both my socials and Great Days socials. Sure. And uh, tickets are still available, but they are pretty limited. So um, yeah. it's going to be an experience, man. We're excited to see how people react to this. This is, this is going to be new for, for both me and for Sean. Have you guys been surprised at, uh, you know, fans not only being interested, but obtaining new fans, uh, who just love hearing that sound? I, I don't know that I would say I'm surprised. I'm appreciative. I mean, yeah. I, I think we're very proud of the music and I, yeah. I, you know, I think we're, Without sounding like an arrogant jerk, I think we're <laughs> I think we're a good band. The music's good, so we're very appreciative of the people yeah. that enjoy the music. But quite honestly, if we if we didn't think people were going to like it, there'd be no purpose to play live. Yeah, no mm-hmm. shit. I yeah, I agree. I love hearing that you know we have new fans or people are enjoying the music. And to Chris's point, you know, we actually have several more shows that we booked for next year, but we're not going to announce them yet. So some. Some very cool things happening, and we will be um, booking more stuff. So we will hopefully be coming to a city near you. Um, we definitely want to get some more shows under our belt, though, in the meantime. Um, I was going to expand on your question. I think that um, I have been pleasantly surprised, and I want to just take a moment and thank the Grey Days fans and the family to uh, inviting me into the project and, and, and welcoming me into the project. I think that that came as a pleasant surprise to me is uh, I've, I've had nothing but an outpouring of love from the Great A's friends and family. And that's really special to me. It means a lot to me. I, I do take it very seriously, and I'm just very appreciative of that. Fantastic. I'm going to ask you a couple of lightning round questions. It gets a little more personal, but um, guys, um, do you feel like the ghost of Chester is hanging out around you guys? Well, I feel Chester every every single day. Mm-hmm. There's not a day that I I have that since he's passed where I don't think about him in some capacity, but I feel him all the time. I do not feel mm-hmm. like Chester is I don't feel like Chester's gone. I feel like I feel especially, like I said, in that vocal booth when it's just me in these tracks and when it's me and Grey Days rehearsing live and when it's me and Grey Days on stage, I don't feel like he's gone at all. I actually I actually do feel the presence there, which is very nice to have. Wow. What do you see as the future for Grey Days? Because you guys are touring, you're kicking ass. I'm going to assume you want to do more albums. Um, but what do you see as your future now? Well, I think that the, there's several answers to that question, right? Um, the first answer is we're, we're going to take it as it comes and do the best we can as as we see fit. We, we are um, starting to work on some new material. And uh, I think it's important to give Chris his own unique space in the band. Um, he's been a trooper up to this point um, and enjoying singing the songs that are there and, and, and becoming part of the group that way. But I think, um, and I actually I won't use the word I, I'll say that the band is of the opinion that we feel that it's important to give Chris um, some some unique identity within the within the context of what we're doing. So we are going to go in and and do at least a couple of of original songs here very soon, and see how that plays out. And then we'll see how it's responded to. We'll see what the fans um, what they think of that. We'll we'll see how we gel as writers together. Chris may hate the way I write. I may hate the way he writes. We'll just see. I doubt it. But you know, there's a lot of unknown variables. So we'll take it as it comes. That being said, uh, in the meantime, we're looking at the next year as just trying to take on some live shows, some live performances, 
and enjoy enjoy the touring a little bit. Uh, we plan on doing a bunch of uh, or some international stuff um, that we've got in the works. And we're just going to try to enjoy it, you know, and get mm-hmm. this music out there, let people hear it live. And then we'll, we'll see where it takes us. But Chris, you can go ahead and answer it the way you see it. No, I think that you just nailed it. I think that, um, first of all, we're just having fun. We're being in the moment. And, you know, this is music that I don't think there was a period of time where I think that nobody thought that they would ever hear this music live. Um, Gray Days, you know, it was a passion project. Um, and I remember a funny story. So when when we went to when I went to the private listening party, first of all, I wasn't supposed to go. I was invited last minute to the listening party in in uh, downtown Los Angeles, and that's how Sean and I met. It was just by an off chance of being invited to the listening party. And I remember just asking the question. I was like, "Do you guys ever see do, you doing this live?" And Sean goes, "Absolutely not. Nope, <laughs> not happening." <laughs> and, and so you know no nobody ever thought that they were going to hear this music live myself included and so the fact that we get to be in this moment and perform this music live like i don't want to look over the, i don't want to look past that i want to be yeah. in this moment first of all if if the great ace friends and family wants more and they want original music uh, uh, with me on it and we're you know let's give it to them of course let's give it to them because this started as a passion project it will continue as a passion project Mm. I'm laughing because I know Sean personally, and when he says no, he means no. <laughs> so yeah, I think, sort of like, he didn't even hesitate, man. I said no probably a thousand times. I, I was the guy that had to be convinced otherwise because I didn't, I felt like in some way I was being, um, I, I was treading on, I was treading on the original intention of, of, of doing this with Chester. And so I didn't want to betray that. Like for me, it was so important that I was genuine with my intentions. And I think it took a lot of people to try to convince me that I wasn't being, I wasn't betraying my friend. I was actually honoring my friend by letting people hear this music live and bringing it to light in a different way. And that can come with a different, a different set, of, a different perspective, rather. And by by still keeping him involved and and still singing these old songs, you're letting fans connect with the music in a way that they don't they don't get to do. It. And the and the best the and I, I honestly I think I've had two people say you know one of your favorite bands is Alice in Chains and they're the best example of this exact scenario no one's expecting william the new singer for alice and chains to be lane staley right they just want to hear the songs they love whether it's william singing it or lane staley singing it i think william's been in the band longer than lane staley was at this point so yeah at that point they've done an excellent job at maintaining the legacy of what alice and chains was but also creating a new version of what alice and chains is and i think that with that perspective, it became easier for me to digest and do a live show. And once, uh, to your point, Brad, you know, once I got off of no and could come to yes, then my brain starts working on how we're going to get how we're going to get it to, to get there. Yeah, you're definitely a tactician. I've seen you at Club Tattoo. Um, people may not know this. I, I'm sure fans know this, but you you guys were close. And um, Chester um, kind of, he was involved in Club Tattoo as well. He got in, um, you guys were buddies. I mean, people don't realize that. And I love that you honored the fact that you didn't want to just go out, you know, immediately and go, oh, we're going to do something to tribute uh, Chester. You took your time. You had to, you had to mourn. Let's be honest. Am I right on that? Yeah. Um, it just, uh, it was a very tough decision, you know, it was because I knew there was going to be some backlash. I knew that it was going to come with a lot of financial expectations from me. Um, so when I hear, you know, we have, there's so many people and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. There's so many people that love what we're doing and are supportive. Um, Chris and I, Chester, or Chris, Chris and I, 
um, Kristen and Mace have talked about this a million times, you know, early on, it was easy to get sucked into the three or four, you know, individuals that would be spewing negativity and we'd get lost in the 10 or 20,000 people that were commenting that they loved what we were doing. We would only be focusing on these four idiots that had nothing but negative to say those keyboard warriors in their parents' basement, you know, and, and the things that used to irk me the most was like, Oh, you're just trying to get rich off this. And God, that would rub me so wrong because if they only knew, like, you know, I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on this project to make it happen. And um, I'm clearly at a net loss uh, as Chris can attest to as well. Uh, (laughs) This is not a money-making venture. This would be the dumbest business plan in the history of mankind (laughs) if this would be trying to make money. But um, I, I initially did this because I was so proud of the music we had. That's really what it comes down to and proud of my friendship with him and proud of things we have done. And and Ace and Kristen, the same thing. They'll say the exact same thing. Like we did it for all the right reasons. So when we would hear those detractors, it would really get under our skin early on. And now I have to, now I laugh at those people because they're still trolls somewhere um, talking (laughs) shit to somebody about something they know nothing about. And it took me a while to, to realize that. I had a really wise friend tell me once, good music should never die. Oh. And, you know, that that's a testament to what Queen did, to what Alice in Chains did, to what so many people did before this. And it's not it's not any anything else than that phrase right there. Good music should never die. If it's good music and people want to hear it, then people should hear it. They deserve to hear it. And it really just it starts and ends with that. Yeah. Why do we let the negative naysayers? I mean, these we are in the day of the internet where nobody has a filter. They just say whatever's on their mind. And you're right, Sean. They're they're the guys sitting in the basement bitching about everything else, never looking at themselves and saying, Maybe I should become a better musician and get up off my ass and get out there. Um, I'm glad you 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 ignored the naysayers. I really am. Oh, I did not ignore them, Brad. I actually went see Matt. <laughs> These guys have to hold me back all the time because I grew up. I grew up in the days where when you said something and you said something, you got punched in the mouth if you were yeah. out of line. If you couldn't back it up, that's that's how I grew up. So this whole um, generation of these weak ass people that feel yeah. comfortable talking smack with no repercussions, no consequences, uh, that stuff drives me crazy and. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this, I'll never forget this one kid. He was the biggest crap talker on, on the project. And I went down the rabbit hole and looked at his social media and he was this abhorrent guitar player, like just horrible guitar player and literally living in his parents' basements while he did these little TikTok YouTube things of him playing this really shitty guitar. And I was like, why am I wasting 10 seconds of my life on this person? This guy is clearly yeah. delusional as to what he brings to the world. Yeah. And I think that's I think that some people think that there's a, a limitation to success. Only a few people can succeed. And so some people feel like they have to shit on others to get ahead. Yeah. I, I firmly believe that. And and the thing is, is there's enough the the, the world is abundant enough for all of us to succeed without us shitting on each other. And if we could, if we could come together instead of shit on each other, um, I think that people will find that anybody and everybody can be successful in their own respect if they choose to focus their energy on success rather than individualizing and pushing people down. You said a mouthful. Brad, this is yeah. why Chris Chris needs to be the the, the spokesperson of the band because his attitude is so much better than mine. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> he, he has nothing negative to say, and uh, he, he should be the guy to have those conversations moving forward, not me. You know, Sean, you and I kind of grew up similar. You know, I'm a baby boomer, uh, uh, and I just, you know, if you said some crap, you went over to the house and knocked on your door, and you got That's punched right. in the face. That's right. You're right. I've, you been punched, I've been punched in the face for saying stupid things before. <laughs> That's how you learn, folks. you know? I can't imagine somebody punching Sean in the face because he's a big dude. He's tall. Uh, he's up Sean, over me. 
Sean you don't want to mess with Sean, man. You don't want to mess Sean, with Sean. Sean has been punched in the face plenty of times. Sean has lost plenty of fights. Sean, Sean is not uh, as tough as you guys think. But I'm also a guy that stands up for what I believe, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I'm the the. I don't even want to be the toughest person on the planet. I don't well, care about that. But I do care about right and wrong. And when I feel like I've been wronged, I'll I'll stand up for myself, no matter what that means. So, um, I just yeah. uh, that the, the young generation right now that this it's like you have this two sides of it, right? You have these young kids who've never been hit in the face; they've never had to have repercussions, and then you have this other side of of uh, in in the United States anywhere where these young kids are they're getting introduced to martial arts at such a young age, and they're like these super tough kids. Yeah that you know there's they're super respectful and they're super talented and um they have no physical fears so it's like you have this dichotomy of of yeah. of classes in in america right now as far as young young um mm -hmm. young people well i wrote the book on uh generational uh the generational divide and i can tell you they're also trained in video games to not have any uh remorse if they hurt mm. you or do things it's all built into them. There's a lot of things that have happened. Um, but I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Sean is a person of integrity. Um, I'm not going to go into details, but a few <laughs> years ago, he he got me out of a jam because somebody was talking crap, you know, and you stood up for me and I appreciate that. So any anytime you need my help, man, you just reach out. Chris, I, I do love your sunshine and rainbows approach. <laughs> um I think I think it's needed in this day and age. That doesn't mean you're you're up in the clouds. You just you see it and you choose to be on the positive side of life. I recognize. I trust me. I recognize everything that everybody is saying, and it drives me nuts whenever I'm by myself, isolated, and thinking. I mean, that's right. the worst place for for an introvert that struggles with depression and anxiety is by yourself thinking. Yeah. And so it's not a it's not a lost concept on me. Um, it's just the fact that I have to choose if I don't make a conscious decision to to choose to move forward, then it's just going to eat me up inside and it's going to do irreversible damage to me and what I want to accomplish in life. Yeah. So it's an everyday fight. It's an everyday fight. Trust me. But um uh, there's really no other way that I can see it if I want to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish in life. There's no other way to do it except focus on what I can control instead of focusing on things I can't. Fantastic. I'm going to ask you guys one last question each um, as we close out here. Sean, was there anything you wanted to say to Chester before he passed? Uh, if I had one thing I was able to say to him, it would just be that I, I loved him and and I loved him and that a lot of people loved him. That's one thing I wish he would have been able to hear, um, yeah. not only audibly, but, you know, and hear. I, I think yeah. he didn't realize how special of a human being he was. So that's yeah. something I would have loved to tell him. Wow. Chris, so far, what's your favorite memory with the band? Oh, man. Well, it has to be. It has to be you, Fest. It has to be the the moment that we're about to walk on stage in front of 15,000 people and our tech asks is this the biggest antenna that you have and and right whenever we walked on stage our ears go dead and at that moment like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how much rehearsal or practice or friendship or relationships or time you have with somebody what matters in that moment is if you know somebody and in that moment we all decided to collectively pull pull each other out pull each other up and make sure that we do this this set justice and so you know all of the 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 fun times and the relationships and the get-togethers and the rehearsals those were great but relationships are tested in moments of of uh trauma and that could have been that could have been a very traumatic experience but i think we did a really good job at pulling ourselves out of that pulling each other out of that so that was actually my worst and my favorite moment of being a part of great a so far as yoda said master yoda remember your training <laughs> remember <laughs> your training ladies and gentlemen sean daldell drummer for gray days and frontman chris hodges for gray days Guys, I want to thank you for being on today's show. Um, it has been an honor. Uh, where do we go to find out about your tours and everything else? 
Got a website, greatdays.com? Greatdaysmusic.com. And you can go to Instagram, official on Instagram, and then Hodges Official on Instagram as well. And you'll find out anything and everything you want to know about our tours and upcoming fun events that we have coming up. And I suggest everybody go to YouTube and uh, go into the search for Gray Days, colon, Making of the Phoenix, parts one, two, and three. Really great. Uh, I just enjoyed that documentary. But uh, once again, thank you, gentlemen, for being on Awakened Nation. Thanks for having us, Brad. Take care, man. Thank you so much for being a big part of the Awakened Nation movement. This is how you can help me and our extraordinary guests. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let's grow this movement by word of mouth. Our success will be because of you. Thank you, and see you next week.